We'll be reading this morning from Matthew chapter 14. Matthew chapter 14, beginning in verse 22, we're continuing to look at the miracles of Jesus. And as we look at the miracles of Jesus, some things about Jesus are revealed. A lot about us is revealed. So it merits a look at these. This miracle is recorded by Mark and John also, both of them in chapter 6 of their books. And we'll be looking at, uh, at their accounts as well. By looking at all three accounts, some important details are provided that give us a complete picture a more complete picture than just looking at one account, which is why it's very important as you're reading through the Gospels to read through all of them. And a lot of these events may have some subtle differences, and that is from one point of view to the other, one noticed something that the other one did not as they were uh, uh, revealing these accounts of these miracles and the things that Jesus did. Matthew chapter 14, beginning in verse 22, would you stand as the scriptures read, please? Immediately Jesus made his disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side while he sent the multitudes away. And when he had sent the multitudes away, he went up on the mountain by himself to pray. Now when evening came, he was there alone. But the boat was now in the midst of the sea, tossed by the waves, for the wind was contrary. Now in the fourth watch of the night, Jesus went to them walking on the sea. When the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were troubled, saying, It is a ghost. They cried out for fear. But immediately Jesus spoke to them, saying, Be of good cheer. It is I. Do not be afraid. And Peter answered him and said, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. And he said, Come. When Peter had come down out of the boat, he walked on the water to go to Jesus. But when he saw the wind was boisterous, he was afraid. Beginning to sink, he cried out, saying, Lord, save me. And immediately Jesus stretched out his hand and caught him and said to him, Oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? When they got into the boat, the wind ceased. Those who were in the boat came and worshipped him, saying, Truly, you are the Son of God. Let's pray together, please. Father, we thank you for your word we thank you for telling us about Jesus Christ. We thank you for telling us about ourselves. There are a lot of needs in the building today, and you know each one of them. So help us as we come with our needs and, and our hurts and our joys and all the things in our lives, and we bring them all to you today. And we ask you to deal with us concerning any need of change or decision that we would have today. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. I'll tell you right off the start, this is a two-part sermon series. My intention was just simply to look at this miracle. And uh, as I begin to look at the, the things in the scripture to develop, I realize there's no way that this morning I can cover Simon Peter's little foray into extreme water sports of water walking. But we'll have to deal with that next week. I mean, it, that merits a whole morning to look at. So we'll just be able to look at the first half of this. You have to come back next week. Same time, same place for the rest of the story. But this whole thing started because of the decision to cross the lake after dark. Whose idea was this? 
The evening was coming. It was late already when the disciples said, send the multitudes away. They've got to go get something to eat. And Jesus said, no, we're going to have lunch, supper right here. So they all had, that took some time. So understandable, by the time he fed thousands of people and they gathered up the fragments, that took a long time. It was getting dark. Whose idea was it to get in the boat and go across the, the sea in the middle of the night? Of course, the, the disciples, they fished there too. So we understand that, but this is just traveling. They were in a safe place. They were right there on the land. Everything was settled down. But no, they had to get in the boat and go out in the middle of the night across the lake. Whose idea was it? It was Jesus' idea. Jesus is the one who made the decision. And this passage of scripture just simply says, Jesus made his disciples get into the boat. Now, the English word is he made the disciples. Now, we may look at that and say Jesus just told them, you guys just going across and I'm going to stay here for a while. I'm going to send the multitudes away and left it at that. But that word's an important word. The word is ankazo, is anankazo. It's a Greek word. It doesn't mean he just instructed them to get into the boat. It means he constrained them, he compelled, he insisted, he forced them to get into the boat. Now, that's an important thing because that implies the disciples didn't want to get into the boat. They did not want to get into the boat. They did not want the crowds to go away. They wanted everything to stay like it was. Then why would Jesus force them, insist, compel, constrain? Why would he make them get into that boat? Well, John tells us why in John chapter 6, verse 14. John chapter 6, verse 14. And again, keep in mind, Jesus has just fed 5,000 men, not counting women and children. So at the very least, it's 10,000 people that have been fed by just a handful of fish and bread. And it says in John chapter 6, verse 14, Then those men, when they had seen the sign that Jesus did, said, truly, this is truly the prophet that would come into the world. Verse 15, therefore, when Jesus perceived they were about to come and take him by force and make him king, he departed again to the mountain by himself alone. Now when evening came, his disciples went down to the sea and got into the boat and went over the sea toward Capernaum. Now John doesn't use the word constrain. Mark and Matthew does. But John reveals the reasoning why the disciples would want to stay and Jesus didn't want them to stay because it says after they had seen the miracle of feeding so many thousands of people, they wanted to come and by force make Jesus king. They really got enthused. They really got vocal. They got loud. And they wanted to make him king. Now, the problem is this. They had a different kind of king in mind. You see, the Jewish people always dreamed of a very powerful military king that would come and throw off any political 
oppression that they were having by the surrounding countries. And, and everybody took turns. It was the Babylonians. It was the Assyrians. It was the Greeks under Alexander the Great. Now it was the Romans. And boy, their grip was getting tighter all the time. Taxes were high. And you talk about government intrusion into people's lives. It was not a democracy. It was not anything but a dictatorship. And rules were passed. Laws were passed. Military people from another country were stationed in your town to make sure that all these things were done. And they didn't want it. And they always dreamed about a political king that would come and throw off all this by military might and make Israel the strongest nation in the world. But you see, Jesus had another kingdom in mind. Jesus had an eternal kingdom in mind. Jesus had a spiritual kingdom in mind. Jesus' kingdom was going to involve the whole world, not just Israel. They didn't know that. And the disciples would have found what the crowd was wanting very attractive. Why was that? They were Hebrew young men. And some of them were even called zealots. They were into the political stuff. They really wanted this political kingdom. And so when the crowd started chanting, make him king, make him king, or whatever they were chanting, as what time we see when we, we have these things happen, they would have probably got caught up in it. They wanted to see that happen just like anybody else. They were tired of Rome. They were tired of Israel being trampled on. They were tired of all this. And here comes Jesus who could do anything. They said, he's the guy. And they wanted to make him a military king. And Jesus said, no, we're not going to have this. So Jesus had to force them into the boat while he sent the multitudes away. Do you remember, if you, if you look at the feeding of the 5,000, how that all started? The apostles, the disciples came to him. And you know what they said? Send these people away. Now, Jesus trying to send them away, and they don't want that to happen. Finally, he has to get them into the boat so he could send them away. Because as long as they were around, obviously, they were getting kind of caught up in things, perhaps. So he made them get into the boat. And here is the principle. It was safer to send the disciples in the boat into the ocean, the sea, into the storm, than to let them stay on the land with this. It was attractive to them. It was probably what they wanted. It was comfortable. It was exciting to them. And he knew it was safer for them out there than to stay where they could be led wrong over here. So when Jesus forced them to get to the boat, they didn't understand. They didn't understand why he would want them to be out there in the sea. But you see, Jesus knew why, didn't he? Can you see there's a principle here? There are sometimes Jesus sends us in the situations or we see some directions in the Bible we don't understand. Why? Because our vision of things is so limited. But the decision to cross the lake after dark was Jesus' decision. And there's an important spiritual principle here. Jesus knows what's best for us. And sometimes he has to drag us kicking and screaming into what's the best place for us. But he did that for his disciples. So we have a, another night storm. If you remember earlier, the disciples saw this again. Jesus asleep in the boat. You remember that? 
and another storm came up. It's like, oh, no, here we go again. Another night storm. And it says that the wind was contrary to them. In Matthew chapter 14, it says the wind was contrary in verse 24. Now, that's important. The, the word there means opposed. The wind was blowing in their face. So the storm is described as not just a storm, but the direction of the wind. He said, you pass over to the other side toward Capernaum. The wind was blowing from Capernaum and coming into their face. And you say, so what? Well, Mark tells us, so what? Look in Mark chapter 6, verse 45. Mark chapter 6, verse 45. Immediately, he made his disciples to get into the boat and go before him to the other side, to Bethsaida, while he sent the multitude away. And when he sent them away, he departed into a mountain to pray. Now when the evening came, the boat was in the middle of the sea, and he was alone on the land. And he saw them straining at rowing, for the wind was against them. Saw them straining at rowing, for the wind was against them. They were straining at rowing, and he says again, like Matthew, the wind was contrary, it was against them. The word straining here doesn't mean that if they just found it hard to row. It is the same Greek word from which we get they were distressed. They were in agony. It is the same root word for torture. It was torture. The wind was against them, and they kept rowing and kept rowing and kept rowing. And you still say, so what? What's revealed here? Oh, look close. Look close at the detail. It reveals the determination of the disciples to do what Jesus told them to do, even when everything was going against it. You know, Jesus tells us to do some things. He tells us to live in a certain way. He tells us to behave in a certain way. He tells us to love others in a certain way. And did you know the winds of popular opinion are going to blow against that? It's going to blow in our face. Waves are going to crash in our faces. People don't understand. It will get inconvenient to live like Jesus wanted us to live. It will get inconvenient to serve like Jesus asked us to serve. It will get hard and difficult and sometimes very difficult depending on what our determination is. Now the disciples found it impossible to make any forward headway. And you know where we see them? They're still rowing. They're still straining. They're agonizing to the point of torture, but they're going to do what Jesus asked them to do. Now the question is, how much does it take to make us flinch? A little inconvenience, a little tired, going to sleep in on Sunday morning, a little criticism, and we stop living like Jesus wants us to stop. How much does it take to make us flinch? Or will we be like these disciples, straining to row? It's hard, it's difficult, 
People may not understand. People may criticize. They may laugh. They may scorn us. But we're going to keep on rowing and keep on rowing and keep on rowing. The Apostle Paul said it this way in Philippians chapter 3, verse 13. I press. The word strain is there. I press toward the mark of the prize of the high calling. And you know what that was? It was an athletic term. It means when the runner is getting close to the finish line and he has already run as hard and as fast as he thinks is humanly possible and he sees that finish line and he leans forward and finds more strength to run. That's what Paul said. And that's how God wants us to approach our service to him. We're leaning forward, we're pressing forward, and we are going for the finish line. Thirdly, we see the watchful eye of Jesus. It doesn't say that they were straining and rowing. It said he saw them straining at rowing. And then that's something that that detail is in there. Mark could have just said, man, they were having a hard time. They were straining and rowing, but it said Jesus saw them. Jesus saw them. Now, this is an important thing. They couldn't see Jesus, but he could see them. Now, why couldn't they see Jesus? Well, there was a storm. The storm was blowing waves up over the boat. The sea was splashing in their face. They were so busy rowing, they couldn't look around. They were rowing for their lives, but they were keeping on with what Jesus said for them to do. And so they were so busy rowing and fighting the storm and in the dark, there's no way they could see Jesus. But as I was on them, there are times where we can't see Jesus. The storm is so rough, people say, I, I just don't know why God's doing this to me. They, there's no way they can see God in it. There's times where we get so busy trying to keep our head above water, so to speak, and we have, of course, the, the hassles and the, of, of life and the busy schedules and it's so much work and so much this and so I know that. We may not be looking at God, but God's always looking at us. Jesus saw them struggling at rowing even when they could not see him. And the 33rd Psalm, the eye of the Lord is upon them that fear him. Jesus said it this way in Luke chapter 12, verse 6, Aren't five sparrows sold for two copper coins? And you're not one of them is forgotten by God. And Matthew says it this way when he said that, cheer up, you're of more value than many sparrows. Jesus saw them at rowing. Nobody else in the whole world saw what they were doing. Nobody. Their families, their friends, nobody. Nobody may see your struggles. Jesus sees them all. Every one of them. And then we have the early morning stroll. It says that Jesus came to them at the fourth watch of the night. The fourth watch of the night started at three and ended at six. That is the early morning hours. The fourth watch of the night, Jesus saw them. And Mark says this. About the fourth watch of the night, Jesus came to them walking on the sea. And then it says this, and would have passed them by. 
Now you say, wait a minute, wait a minute. I thought you said that he saw them rowing and now he's going to walk past them like he doesn't even see them. Well, that's not what that word means. It doesn't mean that he was just going to simply walk past them. The word is a Greek word, parerkome. Now, you might say, well, that doesn't mean much to me until you do a little bit of homework. When the Jewish rabbis translated the Hebrew Bible into Greek, and it was Jewish rabbis who did this, scholars, Hebrews, who knew what these words meant, they translated a particular Hebrew word into this same word that's used right here. Well, what Hebrew word is it? It's the same Hebrew word that is used in Exodus chapter 33, verse 22, when God said, Moses, I'm going to put you into a hole in this cliff, and I'm going to place my hand over that hole so you can't see me, and I am going to pass by. And then when I pass by, you'll get a glimpse of my glory. That's the same word that's used. Same word is used in, in 1 Kings chapter 19, verse 11, where God places Elijah in a cleft of the rock. And he says, I'm about to pass by. And Elijah heard that still, small voice. You see, the, to say that Jesus is going to pass them by didn't mean that Jesus is going to walk on by and not even look their direction. It's the same word. Now, the, the English word for this, and it's another big word, theophany. That means when God reveals himself to mankind or when we really see the glory of God. Now, let's look at it in the context of Jesus walking on the water. Jesus saw them struggling and rowing and went to them walking on the water and wanted to show them his glory. He wanted to show them a glimpse of God. And there's a lesson here. They saw the glory of Jesus Christ in a way that they would have never seen it if they had stayed on the comfort of land. They saw the glory of Jesus Christ in the storm, in the night, the darkest part of the night, that's when they saw the glory of Jesus Christ. And we go through valleys and we wonder why did God bring us here? God can show us his glory many times in the darkest times like we never would see him if things are going good. Because let me say truthfully, a lot of times we don't look toward God when things are going good like we look toward God when we're going through the dark time. That's just the way it is, isn't it? And when the night gets the darkest and the wind is the worst and the storm is its most ferocious, here comes Jesus showing us his glory. Sometimes people say, why am I going through this? And we sometimes think that God's mad at us because we go through troubles. Of course, Jesus said, in this world, you're going to have trouble. Everybody, we're going to have it. And we may think, God's, God's punishing me. And let me tell you, if God's punishing you by sending you through a trial, you know what it's about. You know what it's about. 
But many times God sends us through the trials, not because we're disobedient. Hey, they were doing exactly what Jesus wanted them to do. But God wants to show us his glory in a way that we'd never see it otherwise. So we conclude with some principles that we can see through this. Number one, Jesus knows what we need. Now let's turn that coin around. Jesus knows what we don't need. And the disciples did not need to stay with that crowd. Jesus knew that. They didn't. We think we need this, we need that, and I want this, I want that. Why, God, why would God not do this for me? God knows what we don't need. God knows what we can't handle. Secondly, Jesus sees our struggle. Thirdly, even though you don't see Jesus, he's already walking your direction. They didn't see him, they didn't know it, but Jesus is already coming to them. Jesus come in your direction. So we prepare for an invitation to him. Let me ask this. What are you struggling with? Now this week, we've had people that have been struggling with some very hard valleys in their life. Death of a loved one. Somebody's in the hospital. Somebody's hurting. Somebody's sick. God sees every bit of that struggle. Maybe it's a, it's a big sorrow, but maybe... Maybe what you're struggling with is just the everyday grind. I mean, it's just day after day after day and the hassles and the grind and you don't see where it'll ever all end. What are you struggling with? And then maybe, watch close, maybe you're struggling with your own guilt. And there is no burden like your own guilt. And even when you're struggling with your own guilt of something just so horrendously wrong or just something that you're doing that you know God's not pleased with. You know what Jesus is doing? He's heading your direction. He's heading your direction. And you see, he died on the cross so you don't have to handle that load of guilt. He sees your struggle and he wants to take even that struggle away from you. So whatever struggle you have, why don't we just talk to Jesus this morning? He sees it. He's heading your way. It's time to talk to God. Let's stand and sing. What number? Number 170.